Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Growing up as a twin, there were certain things that happened that weren't great. Now, don't get me wrong, I loved growing up with a fraternal twin brother, but people had certain stereotypes that were, that were thrust upon you. And one that bothered me the most was this idea that one twin was good and the other twin was evil. Maybe it wasn't quite as intense as that. Maybe one twin was, was well-behaved and the other twin not as well-behaved. And sadly, we were always being compared to one another. If you had to guess which one of my twin brother or I uh, was more well-behaved, you'd probably guess the one that became a pastor, right? But if I'm the good one, then that makes my brother the evil one then. See, and, and that's where the rub is because that's a mistake. Honestly, from God's point of view, we both made our fair share of mistakes. We both behaved in a way that made it necessary for Jesus to die on that cross. At one point, I owned a uh, bright red shirt that said, I'm the evil twin. And what's funny is that my twin brother owned the exact same shirt. And I loved it because of how accurate it was. On account of both of our sin, we're both the evil twin. And when I look at another set of brothers today uh, from the gospel reading, we see this stereotype happen again. One brother was bad, the, the prodigal son, the younger son who had gone off and, and wasted all his, his uh, inheritance. And the other son was the good son, right? He stayed and fulfilled his duty. Therefore, we should try to act like the older son, the good son, right? Wrong. Dead wrong. Because there is no good son. Because both made major mistakes in this parable. And in case you don't see it, especially with the older brother's fault, it's helpful to know the context of the, or the culture of the time. Now in the first, parable, or first part of the parable with the, with the younger son, we see a breakdown in the relationship between the father and the son with the younger son. But here also, with the older son, there's a breakdown in the relationship between the father and the son here as well. Now, one commentary said, Middle Eastern customs and the Oriental high regard for the authority of the father makes the older son's actions extremely insulting. He goes on to say, Yet it is certain, certainly an insult in any culture to publicly refuse to participate in a banquet hosted by, a, by the father and so exhibit a serious quarrel in the family to public gaze. What the older son was doing was shameful. And his actions were bringing shame upon not just himself, but his entire family. Another commentary I read said that the older son's actions actually insulted his father seven times. Just look at the text. You can open your bulletin. We're starting in verse 28. You can see here that there is no respectful addressing of the father with his title of father like the younger son does. And the older son then, he goes off. He goes off on his dad about how he has slaved away for him for all these years with this, with this attitude of resentment. The older son then claims he's never disobeyed his, his father's commands while in the same breath as him literally doing just that as he is publicly insulting his father. 
the older son's refusal to even enter the party to, to fulfill his, his uh, appointed role as host steward flies in the face of honor and respect. Instead, this, this older thinks, son thinks that he's fulfilled his duties and he's done what was expected of him. At the very least, he thought he should at least get granted a young goat so he could have a rip-roaring party with his buddies. Now, the original hearers of the parable that Jesus was telling, they would have heard all of that. And they would have caught all of those cultural missteps of the older son. And the Pharisees knew, they, they knew that Jesus was talking about them. Because it was the Pharisees that had the problem with Jesus sharing the meal with the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus is connecting the older son's refusal to enter the feast with the Pharisees rejecting eating with sinners and tax collectors, the very people that Jesus came to save. But from the Pharisees' point of view, how dare this Messiah come and share a meal with these disgusting individuals? They don't deserve it. They haven't done the right things and earned God's love like we have. They've sinned. They've made mistakes. They've behaved shamefully. And these Pharisees approached life a lot like people do nowadays. They think you got to be good enough for God to love you. That your actions earn you a place in either heaven or hell. But they don't realize that. Instead, what were the Pharisees most mad about? Well, the meal, right? Jesus was receiving the wrong people. And sharing a meal with them. And in this, this third parable, we see another meal, don't we? We see Jesus talking about the meal as a celebration feast. And it's not just, oh, you're hungry, have some food kind of meal. No, it's like a, a wedding reception and Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas and birthdays and family dinners all rolled on into this one fantastic event. And that's what Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors was for him. It wasn't just filling your face, but it was, it was celebrating the, the reunification of the family, being brought together in love and forgiveness, in reconciliation and resurrection and rebirth. And this meal meant something. Jeff Burkhart reminded me last night uh, of another aspect of this parable I wanted to uh, touch on. We'll take a quick break from the older brother here in this parable, and, and there's one other character I want to zoom in on for just a second here, because it's worth mentioning. In this parable, when the lost son comes home, the father throws a banquet, and for it he kills the fattened calf. Now, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the fattened calf. And for those of the uh, hearing the parable for the first time, this, at that side of the resurrection, they likely miss the connection of the fattened calf to Jesus himself. Because it's Jesus who is the sacrifice that makes this feast even possible. Not only is Jesus the one going out and finding the people to feast with, to celebrate with, but Jesus himself is who they will end up feasting upon. That's what we believe with Holy Communion. And when these Pharisees, these, this, these older brothers, refuse to partake in the meal, what they're actually doing is refusing to be part of this divine reunion. The celebration feast of the sacrifice where the son who was once dead is alive again. I mean, there is so much more going on here than what we see at first glance. And in this, in all of this, Jesus 
is challenging the Pharisees. If they are the older brother, and if Jesus is speaking for the father, then the goal is to get the Pharisees to join the party. Right? Come on, older brothers. Come on, Pharisees. Come to the party. Join the meal. For the whole gang's getting back together. Your younger brother is back. The sinners and tax collectors are back. Yet you Pharisees are too proud, too arrogant, too angry, too stubborn. Right? They thought you've got to be good enough for God to love you. That your actions earn you a place in either heaven or hell. But that's, that's not what the Christian life... I'm sorry, that's what the... But the Christian life isn't about earning God's respect or expecting God to do us a favor on account of our good works or our fulfilling of duties or our giving of offerings. God, God doesn't owe you a thing. Our salvation is only because of the love of the Father. His love is what makes the difference in our lives now and for eternity. And in the parable, again, it's the Father's love that makes all the difference. And God's love is poured out on us, even though we, we don't deserve it. Now, whether we identify more closely with the younger son or the older son, the truth is we have to pick one. Because in the parable, you and I are the children of the Father. You and I are the ones making mistakes. And yes, God's love and action that he took in this world to rectify the situation in, by his death on the cross, by Jesus' resurrection from the dead, yes, that makes us perfect. But first, we must realize that we are all imperfect. On our own, we are all fallen. We're all broken. We're all enemies of God doing evil. Some of us may have strayed from the faith. Some may have come back. And some of us may have stayed and sit in judgment. But make, make no mistake, we are all in the wrong. And we are all in need of the forgiveness and love that God gives. You see, this is the message that Jesus was trying to teach in this parable. And the love of the Father is, it's sometimes it's just too big for us to understand. And because we don't always understand it, there's this temptation to think that the appropriate response to God's love is, is just to try harder. Just, just do better. But Jesus is not challenging us today with more duties and more obligations or more rules like to go out into the world and love the prodigals because that's what real Christians are supposed to do. No, God is challenging us to see that we're his beloved children and that everything he has is ours. We don't have to do the right thing for his love and acceptance. We are in the midst of the presence of God right now and his love, but, but we try to cover it up with, with duty and religious obligation while we're trying to somehow earn it still. But no, it's all grace. We are saved by grace in the beginning of our lives with Jesus, and we continue along that journey by grace. Some of us need to allow that to seep deep within our hearts. 
We need to be transformed and allow God to break off this life of, of slaving away for him. Let me be clear about this. We cannot offer grace to our community if we have not first received it. I'll say that again. We cannot offer grace to our community unless we have first received it. We cannot go forth into the world with God's grace if we're doing it out of duty. If we see this as one more thing that we have to do in order to be a, church, a good church member, then we're missing the point. We must allow the grace of God to seep deep within us. And I'm not talking about just this coming week. This needs to be the approach moving forward. To be filled with God's love so much that it, that it just overflows on the next person that we see. I'd love to say this is exactly what happened with the, par with the uh, Pharisees that Jesus was talking to. But in the parable, we don't get to hear what happened between the older son and the younger son. We're left hanging. We're left with unanswered questions. Will the older son repent and come and join the feast? Or will he sit there, rejecting God's grace and love, refusing to be reconciled to his repentant brother? Amen.